Zone by Tegan Hunter. To my fans, I'm known as Ivan Fitzgerald. To my teammates, I'm just Fitz. And to the girl I've been talking to online, I'm shoots and scores. There's no doubt in my mind that the woman on the other side of the screen is completely out of my league. Why wouldn't she be? Sure, I'm a professional hockey player, but that doesn't mean anything when I'm a shy and awkward in the most basic social situations, and she's a fiery vixen who oozes sex appeal. No matter how badly I want her, I can't have her because the woman I love watching so much, the one I might be slowly falling for, she's not just some stranger on the internet. It's Rosie, the woman who serves me coffee and donuts every morning, and she has no clue it's me. Neutral Zone is a standalone sports romance novel. It features a hot, toothless hockey player, a curvy woman who is confident in her body, lots of fun banter, and steam. That's Neutral Zone by Tegan Hunter. It's live now. Go grab it, lady listeners. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, lady listeners. Welcome to a new week at Read Me Romance. We have got Honey Phillips, and she has brought us a brand new book called You've Got Alien Trouble. And I'm so excited. This cover is funny because it's it's like floral. It's beautiful. It's very it's, delicate. It's very different from her other one. It it's is. Almost, it's so I almost different. feel like she's like, I've got to creep these people into this. <laughs> yeah, right. She's sneaking them in. She's like teasing them a little bit. I love it. So this book that she has brought us today, it's part of um, the Seven Brides for Seven Aliens Brothers series. And I was like, you you had me at aliens. So <laughs> this is going to be great. Um, we have all kinds of good stuff with her in just a little bit. Um, we're going to talk uh, beforehand. Somebody on TikTok said that. They were like, um, how do I find the audiobooks? So I was like, they're on the episodes. You just hit play. And they're like, oh, there were just people talking. And I was like, you have to wait for that. Or you can fast forward. It's on there. <laughs> it's like, we talk a little before, but you don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. <laughs> But it's like they just quit listening because we were talking. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting your audiobook right now. On Patreon, it's straight audiobook. Yeah, yeah. If you want to to cut out us, you're more than welcome to go over to Patreon and do it that way. There's like 65 audios now, I think, over there or something like that. How many you got loaded? Do you know? There's like 69 loaded. But like, Oh, my favorite number. Before we started airing is I have them set up one to drop every Thursday all the way into November. I have set up. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like the, it just set it and forget it right now. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Did you have a good Mother's Day? Yeah. I was actually, we didn't do anything. What did we do? <laughs> did you get your mom fresh lady? cut flowers? That's all I want to know. Oh yeah. I sent her, um, a ton of flowers. I go to I know Farm that's her Girl. Favorite. Yeah, the what is it? Farm Girl Fresh or yeah, Farm Girl Flowers? Have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to order from them ahead of time. They are not a turnaround of two to three days. You have to give them a week. Mm-hmm. They're like serious about their shit. They don't They're sell gorgeous, certain flowers though. at certain times. Mm-hmm. They don't send out shit, but they have these huge boxes. Mm-hmm. They're like two hundred bucks, yeah. but it's like a hundred flowers. 
They're but gorgeous. they don't come with bases or anything. Mm-mm. And so which that's what she loves to do. So I'll send her one of those huge boxes and then she gets to like do like Arrange four or five bases. That, yeah. I remember yeah. you had sent me some for Christmas last year mm-hmm. and my whole family had come for Christmas and it was so sweet because like I got, there were so many that I got mm-hmm. to put them everywhere. So like my mom even commented, she was like, it's so nice, all these fresh flowers everywhere. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like it was, it's it was a good a idea when i yeah. seen it for christmas last year i got it for my mom too i was like mm-hmm. oh my god leah and my mom would definitely love this because they decorate yeah. for christmas oh so i sent sure. it yeah. like a little bit before so mm-hmm. it could be out oh it was christmas so festive too because there was like greenery and stuff and there was eucalyptus too which smells amazing so it was awesome there was a bunch of good stuff so yeah definitely we should we should advertise for them this is not an ad by the way <laughs> <laughs> for farm girl flowers <laughs> so I actually wanted to have a discussion about Mother's Day because I saw this TikTok and it was this woman and she was like, look, if you don't, if you don't want to hear complaining, just scroll, just scroll on, you know, and um, she was talking about Mother's Day. And so she said that um, in the video, she was discussing that, um, you know, it was Mother's Day and she realized like she was so frustrated because her and her mom and her sister had planned the whole mother's day, you know, that they all cooked and stuff and they all went to the mom's house and they all had dinner and they planned everything. And she was saying how frustrated she was because, you know, she was like, my husband just never takes initiative. He like never plans anything out, even though like I've tried to communicate to him that, you know, that this is, you know, this is the problem. Like it's, you know, I feel and like she was, the three of them should have went to a spa. I know. Right. <laughs> And then, like, right after that, another one popped up. And this was, like, Mother's Day that I'm seeing all this. Is this one mother, or this one mom, she's pregnant. And um, she's like, you know, I'm in Philadelphia. I was staying here for the weekend with my husband. I'm pregnant with our third kid. And she said, you know, I woke up. And my husband's like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, I'm hungry. I want, like, you know, food. And he's like, well, what do you want me to get? And she's like, you know, it's Mother's Day. Just figure it out. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe she's just being a little picky or whatever. And then she was like, you know, it took him forever. And then he was like, oh, by the way, your present's not going to be here because I just ordered it today. And, you know, and it was like, then he had to go down and he forgot the key. And she's like, and I had to bring the bags down. And here I am like pregnant, you know, and carrying all these bags. And I had to get coffee because he forgot to order coffee and all this stuff. And she was bitching about this. And like people in the comments were just like, well, how are you pregnant with his third kid? Like leave this guy, you know? And it was like, there was a lot of complaints about it. And so I saw, then after this, I saw somebody had stitched one of those videos. It was the first person's video. And um, this woman said, you know, this is a big conversation that um, I feel like a lot of women are just too tired to have because they're frustrated that their partner is not listening to them. And it's like, you know, on Mother's Day and Christmas, these things always rear their head. Because it's like, you know, moms, like, buy all the presents, wrap all the gifts, did a, do all the things, schedule the activities, get all the stuff, plan all the things. And, like, the husband just gets to wake up. And it's, like, Christmas morning for him, too, because he doesn't know what the fuck the kids got, you know? So, she was just saying, you know, that women get so frustrated that they are, you know, constantly doing these things. And you know, even expressing their frustration to their partner and their partner being like, okay, you know, but no behavior changes. 
So, you know, I had Mother's Day here on Sunday and we, we didn't do anything. I mean, I don't really care. I don't, it's not like my husband has to do something huge for me. I feel like it's more like for my kids to do something. You yeah, know, for I me. Say, it's just not a much, not for my husband to do something. But, it is know, for him to help. My mom yeah. and Peyton, my mom and Rob did help Peyton get him. Yeah. Started. Well, especially like when your kids are really little, you know, and they're not able to do that. Yeah. Your husband, partner, whatever, they should step up and help do those things. And, you know, I, you know, on that day, I, I, you know, I try not to have any expectations because I've had expectations before and they have not been met and we've all just end up upset. So, you know, and she says in her video, she's like, this is a conversation that women are just too tired to have because they're just exhausted complaining. And then not having anybody hear them. And it just falls on deaf ears just over and over, you know? Yeah. So, it kind of reminds me, though, of the, um, my husband always gets on to me about just doing stuff for the kids instead mm -hmm. of, he's like, if you yeah. yell at them or make them mm -hmm. do it, eventually, I know it takes you two seconds to do it now, yeah. but you're not teaching them to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But I'll tell you something I noticed because I feel at times, and I don't want to put the blame on us, we mm -hmm. enable them. Oh, we 100%. allow them to get away with the behavior. And mm -hmm. I've noticed, and I would always do certain things, and I just did them because I'm moving, this and that. When I stopped doing them, he started doing them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, and you know, we had the, we've had that discussion before you and I have about like, you know, it, the dishwasher's not loaded the way I want it to be loaded, but it doesn't mean it's not done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not the way I would do it. And it's letting go of that as well. Like that obsessive control, yep. you know, letting go of that and not doing it. So I just wanted to talk about this because, you know, when it was mother's day here, we didn't do anything. We didn't have anything planned. They made breakfast for me. Um, you know, it was okay. You know, like I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any sort of above and beyond. And like my husband got up that morning and took the kids to the store to give me a card that Mother's Day morning. So it was like, you know, there, you know, I, on paper, if I wrote all this out, Mm -hmm. someone would look at that and be like, he's really shitty, <laughs> you know? I mean that it wouldn't, it wouldn't highlight anything um, positive. I guess I'd say if I wrote it out, but up to the point that, you know, as I'm watching these videos and I'm listening to these people talk about this, I think it is very easy to say, to look at it on paper and be like, fuck that asshole. You know, and just be like, that's it. You know, like he doesn't listen. He doesn't contribute. doesn't pay attention, you know, but I also had to understand that my husband will never be the person that goes a week before to get me a mother's day card. He'll never be that person. He will always be the person that does not think about it until the day of. And it's not just mother's day. It would be any holiday. He just does not have he doesn't have the extra capacity to think of that because he's thinking of a million other things doesn't he have a um a little bit of adhd a hundred percent yeah that's actually um i've i've been reading a a book called the blank slate mm -hmm. and it talks about these kind of behaviors and that your personality is 
generally already formed when you are born and the environment around it just shifts it a little bit. Yeah. And they were talking about, he goes very in depth with people with ADHD Mm. and it made me look at it very, very much more compassionately Mm -hmm. of understanding of how their brain fires and they Mm -hmm. know I have to get my passport. I have to get my passport, Mm -hmm. but it's like they trip themselves up and then they end up over here and it's just their brain fires differently Mm -hmm. and to do simple tasks ends up being a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Well, and you know, I I don't like to do, I don't want to make excuses and yeah. I don't want to say that like, you know, it's all that. A lot of it is like, oh, if he, you know, it's like that saying, if he, he cared, he would, you know, or whatever it is. Like if he wanted to, he would. That saying that people always put in the comments. I think the problem with looking at a situation like Mother's Day and seeing it maybe not turn out how you wanted, it is easy to look at it as a black and white situation when it's not. Because looking at that and saying that's not perfect does not allow for a imperfect relationship. Yeah. Because your relationship will never be perfect. You'll never, no matter who you're with, there will never be a moment when your partner doesn't fail your expectations or doesn't rise to the occasion, which happens. And maybe it happens more around holidays where the expectations and the pressure is high. Maybe it happens more around Mother's Day when I think that this is his time to shine. When to him, it's like he's dreading it because he thinks he's going to fail. Yeah. So I think, you know, trying to look at a situation like that and seeing those videos come up, it just like, it made me so sad for the women that were really upset because I just empathize with them. I know what that feels like to be so disappointed and so tired of having the same conversation and so tired of being the asshole that has to tell their husband, I want to feel special. I want you to make me feel special. I want to know that I'm special. Show me how I'm special. You know, like I empathize so much with those women who are just desperate to have that acknowledged. And it feels like so much work to have that acknowledged. So it's just hard because like I I see them and I empathize and I understand. But also, you know, but also (laughs) that doesn't allow for imperfect people to know that that you know that it won't always happen you know and I just have to even remind myself that just because it doesn't happen on Mother's Day doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah my love language is acts of service that's why I'm always I think most women are yeah is acts of service so I do little things so whenever like I don't know like today Rob went to take the kids to school and I texted him. I was like, oh, I'm hungry. And he's like, I already got you an egg muffin. <laughs> I was like, that's oh, okay. sweet. Like things yeah. like that. Yeah, you know that's it. It's, just it's the, the effort. Things. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's the I'm effort. like, oh, I'm kind of this or that. And he's like, oh, I swung by the new Starbucks. I got you the drink. I figured you'd want one. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, it's hard because it's like, I don't know, you know, even, you know, God, 16 years, I think, with my husband now. I don't know what his love language is. <laughs> he says it's one thing. It's not. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what it is anymore. I really don't. So 
I, my husband's is touch, but I actually think people get, um, the love language of gift mixed up mm-hmm. because they think it sounds selfish, but mm-hmm. to me, the real meaning is something like a gift is I'm out at a store mm-hmm. and I see a little $2 something mm-hmm. and I grab it because it reminded you, reminded me of you or yeah. even being out and I see something, I take a picture of it and I text it to you and say, this made me think of you. Yeah. I think that's what gift love language is. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily actual, like these huge gifts. It's these small acts of you thought of me. I agree. I, I think that's a, an excellent way to look at it. Like it's not just monetary gifts. It's yeah. actual, like, you know, it can be digital, <laughs> you know? And I also, you know, I understand too, that the whole love language you know, uh, rhetoric was centered around a religious organization came up with a way to test couples Mm -hmm. to see how best they communicate. So it's really not based on any sort of scientific fact or who even knows if it's based on any real casework that's with like therapists or psychologists or anything like that. It was just kind of, you know, this tool that churches used in premarital counseling. So, you know, I, I don't think that there is just one set of love languages. There's there's many layers to it. So I'm just trying to be open about what maybe my husband's is on how he expresses his love language. Maybe I'll figure it out one day. Maybe it'll always be a mystery. It'll just keep me guessing. So yeah. I don't know. I, it, it's hard, though. For me growing up, it was never um, about my dad doing anything for my mom on mother's day it was that we had to do something yeah he would yeah. assist if asked mm-hmm. but it was our responsibility to do whatever it was well you know so i, I think, don't really account rob into mother's day <laughs> i guess i've just looked at it like you know i i do something for my mom i usually like give her a gift or send her flowers or something like that i always call her um you know but we're not close enough to like go see them or whatever yeah for the day so that's kind of it so it's kind of just like us always on mother's day it's usually just the four of us so you know my kids they always do a little something that's very sweet so i don't know it's not that i expect him to do anything but i kind of expect like maybe something i don't know but again there's no like right way to do this and i think there is a lot of pressure on it I think that these perfect. husbands need to stop like creating these whole day events because some women <laughs> that's work. Like if Rob was like, I if I would have woke up Sunday and he's like, I've got a whole day planned for us, I'd be like, "Fuck you! Yeah, you got a whole day planned for you and the kids to go somewhere." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I definitely I'm the type of person too that would have preferred like the whole day to myself. And, you know, and maybe that's frustration, too, where I ended up, you know, it was Mother's Day. I had to do laundry. I still had to cook dinner. Like, you know, I still, I still had to do, like, normal everyday stuff. It didn't feel like a special day. And maybe that was, like, part of the reason I was kind of like, eh, you know, kind of down about it. But I know I needed to hear those videos just to sort of put that into perspective a little bit for me. So maybe somebody else does, too. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's so hard. Again, like, you know, setting expectations, not having them met, constantly having that happen. 
but it doesn't mean that my partner is worthless <laughs> that I should leave, you know, or that like, just because they're not like doing these big grand gestures or meeting these arbitrary bars that I've set that they're not reaching them when they don't even know what they are. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm obviously like, I could be more clear about the things that I want and the things that I need. And maybe that's what I'll have to do in my relationship in order to get those things met. But I don't even know if that would happen, even if I spelled it out. It's just that may it's not be something they're ever that. capable of. I see a, a therapist watch somebody do a diagram and she she was proving the point of sh where she asked the boyfriend, I would like you to text me in the morning. Good morning. Mm -hmm. And then he would do it and then he would stop. Mm -hmm. And then she would say it again. And then she started linking up. So now I think you don't care about me as much as you do. And then this happens and this, and they start linking it all back. And they said, and it all actually comes back to one simple thing you asked. And then it started to break down your trust. Oh, okay. Do one simple thing you asked. And now you don't think that they, you don't trust in a lot of things. Then you have to pick up the slack. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can absolutely see that. Like, I mean, there was, you know, just an example this week. It was like, you know, I asked him a dozen times to go get his truck inspected so we could pay the taxes on it that are due this month. I was like, but I've been asking for like two months, you know, can you, can you go do this? Like, I don't want to do it. I do it on my car. You can do it on your car. And it took, you know, asking about 12 times and it eventually happened. <sighs> Have you seen no, the, I can see that. I can absolutely have, see that. Have you seen the TikToks where the girls go get the drills and they just turn them on? <laughs> yeah, and the husband comes in like, what do you like, pops like, up. like, they just automatically start doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. It's smart. It's smart. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, The other thing, well, you know, and I just, I'll, I'll close in summation with Mother's Day and the whole thing. It's like no relationship is perfect 100% of the time. You know, if, if, if you can communicate, do that. That's all I got to say about it. That's, that's what I took away from watching those videos. Um, have you watched the show Succession? I'm going to say no. You've probably never seen it. Mm -hmm. It's on HBO. It's on its fourth and final season. I started watching it a few weeks ago. Kevin and I both did. It is so good. If you're listening to this and you watch this show, I'm not, I haven't watched the fourth season yet. Any of it it's on, it's only four seasons. It's the final one. Like they're ending the show, but it is so freaking good. And it's because it's about like this, like billionaire family that's like basically running like Fox news. Mm -hmm. And it's about like how terrible they are and stuff and how they like backstab each other. And it is so good. <laughs> So anyways, I've like been obsessed with it lately. So if anybody has a recommendation for a book that is similar to this, please let me know like a romance or something, because this family is crazy and I absolutely love them. They're so awesome. So I want a book recommendation for it. So I'm, now I'm trying to think of, I feel I like Sloan would have something I was like just going to say the, um, the Nikki Sloan series that I read, the, yeah. um, oh my God, I can't even, I cannot believe I forgot the name of it. It's like somebody's screaming at us right now. 
Oh my God. I have it up here. I have the I'll find book. it and put it in the show notes. It's a re- I, know, I, know. I know which one you're talking about. It's There's the re- four books in the series. Yeah, it's the redemption one. The first one is called like the redemption was my favorite book in the series. And it's, it's the like, fourth one. Oh my God. How am I going blank on this? Oh my God. I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna have to Google it like right now. Because I've got to know. What's it called? All right. What's it called? Come on. What's it called? Damn it. Fuck, where is it? Oh, Filthy Rich Americans. That's it. Okay. The Filthy Rich American series. They're in audio. Holy shit. They're so good. The first one's called The Initiation. So it's The Initiation. um, And then after that, The Obsession, The Deception. And then there's the redemption, which is the dad's book. And the fifth book came out. And I think it just came out in audio too, because I'm looking at it now and I do not have that one because I was waiting for audio. When the hell did this come out? It just came out March 2nd. Yes. I'm going to listen to that immediately after we get off this podcast. (laughs) I've got two audible credits that have been burning a hole in my pocket. So yeah, that whole Filthy Rich American series is so good. Reminds me of that. I wonder if she based it on that. Hmm. Hmm. I'm gonna have I to like that show name. Revenge a little bit. Yes. Yeah. It's really, really good. I've loved it. So I've been enjoying that. So what is it that you're watching tonight that you're super excited about going to watch? What is it? Everybody's going to already watch it. Actually, you guys are going to be like, oh, my God, we have the reunion now. <laughs> Vanderval is un coming done tonight. What is that? Vander- the Vanderpump. I've talked about it a lot. Remember <gasps> Remember I told you mm-hmm. I met that girl and I lost my voice? In the yes. Casino? Yes. It was in the Las first Vegas. person I met mm-hmm. that knew about it. And she looked at me and we're like, you know, I know. We just talked and talked. But what we've been waiting for is it's so fucked up. I think I've explained it to you before. Mm-hmm. It's like if Chandler, if uh, Phoebe yes. slept with Chandler. Mm-hmm. And it's if Joey Rachel knew- slept with. Rachel's up with Chandler, and then Joey said, just say it's me. Yeah. But and then he, Rachel was with Phoebe when she found out, when Monica she found punched out. Her, but and one Phoebe friend punched Rachel knew the, the whole time it was going on. Yes. And they were friends. Mm-hmm. So what happened was we've been watching these episodes, and it's like, oh, my God. Because the girl that got cheated on them was with the guy for, like, nine years. Mm-hmm. She's, like, best friends with this girl. And she's <gasps> hugging her. No. And so- Supporting her and you're just she's defending her. What a bitch. And it is like heartbreaking. But after it all came out, Mm -hmm. so they were done round. Mm -hmm. And like they were supposed to be shooting the reunion soon. And then the scandal came out. Mm -hmm. And Bravo rushed back and they Mm -hmm. recorded all this footage. They were like, stop talking to each other. Like they Mm -hmm. made the cut the friends all stop talking to each other. Oh my god! Like we are, you were doing your first because they weren't together. Like at the time when she found out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They like separated everybody out, and then they made them have their one-on-ones on camera. Oh my god! And we're watching it it tonight. And I went to go record it before Mm -hmm. this because I didn't want to wait for it to come up on my Peacock app Mm -hmm. or at Midnight Bravo. So I actually recorded it on my DVR. I never. Yeah. And I went to go record it and it's like two hours long. <gasps> That's amazing. <laughs> but I just can't wait because there's this badass moment that everybody's dubbed the Snoop Dogg music to mm-hmm. when he's like, the guy's like, can I get you anything? And she turns and goes, yeah, you could die. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and then the 
like they do the badass music to yeah. it. <laughs> no, this bitch is winning. Adriana, she went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Oh, nice. They made jokes about him. She has gotten so many ads. Yeah. This is like, she, I, she needed to leave him anyway. She was better This would be the I best thing thought, ever for her. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it sucks that a best friend stabbed her in the back, but yeah. this just catapulted her. That's awesome. Good for her. She deserves it. <laughs> but I'm going to be awesome. watching that immediately. Immediately after this. Okay, great. All right. Well, you know what? It's been 27 minutes. Let's talk about Honey Phillips and you've got alien trouble. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, USA Today bestselling author Honey Phillips writes steamy science fiction romance about hot alien warriors and the earth women that can't resist. From abductions to invasions, the ride might be rough, but the end always satisfies. Honey wrote and illustrated her first book at the tender age of five. Her writing has improved since then. Her drawing skills, unfortunately, have not. <laughs> she loves writing, reading, traveling, and cooking and drinking champagne, not necessarily in that order. If you'd like to be notified of teasers, updates, and promos, subscribe to Honey's newsletter on her website, honeyphillips.com. The book we have for you today, like I said, is called You've Got Alien Trouble, A Failing Farm, A Menacing Neighbor, and an Alien Warrior in Her Barn. The farm Rosie inherited might not be much, but it's hers, and she's determined to hang on to it. Unfortunately, her land-grabbing neighbor wants not only her farm, he wants her as well. The last thing she needs is a huge wounded alien in her barn, no matter how attractive he might be, or how convinced he is that she's his mate. Could her alien be the answer to her prayers, or just one trouble too many? adorable i, I, I feel it. like they're like um they remind me a little bit of a little bit shorter ruby dixon because ruby dixon's books yeah. can be mm -hmm. like 300 pages uh -huh. where yeah. honey phillips can range like around 100 and quick and dirty yeah yeah mm -hmm. so I love it and they're all um, in ku yes uh, you've got Alien Trouble, like I said earlier, is part of the Seven Brides for Seven Aliens Brothers series. Um, the first book in the series is Artek. Um, the series is loosely based on the movie that's named that, I think, Artek, only with an alien twist, and her readers have loved it. Um, her most recent release is Alien Ruler. And um, up next, so if you're looking for her most recent one, that's it. Her newest release that's coming in June is called Three Babies and the Alien Warrior. It's coming June 18th. Um, her giveaway this week is a signed paperback of the seven books in the Seven Brides series. And if you want to follow along and get more from her, follow her Facebook group. It's called The Honey Pot. I'm in. <laughs> I love it. Let's go. Uh, let's play the book. Let's do it. All right. Send them in. We'll see you guys on the other side. You got alien trouble. A seven brides for seven alien brothers story by Honey Phillips. Narrated by Jack Callahan. Chapter one. Rosie knew something was wrong as soon as she entered the barn. Petunia, her milking cow, was huddled against the rear of her stall rather than coming to meet her as she usually did. The chickens clucked nervously from within their coop, and an icy finger trailed down Rosie's spine. Damn it! What had that bastard Matthew done now? Matthew Johnson owned the largest farm in their cluster. 
Of the 16 original families, only three remained, and he was determined to get his hands on all three of their farms. If a winning smile and a lowball offer didn't work, he turned to threats and sabotage. The Thompsons had been forced to sell after their creek mysteriously dried up, and the Garcias after they found most of the chicken flock slaughtered by unknown predators. Predators, my ass. Johnson's ruffians hadn't even bothered to disguise the knife marks when they slit the chickens' throats. He hadn't yet resorted to sabotage with her, although his visits were becoming increasingly threatening. She straightened her shoulders. Whatever he had done, it was best to deal with it now. She tried to adjust the lighting, but the limited amount of power remaining in the solar batteries meant the overhead lights weren't bright enough to chase away all the shadows. With her hand on the holster of her gun, she made her way quietly down the corridor between the empty stalls. Her three remaining horses preferred to stay outside until winter arrived. The stalls to the left were empty as well, except for Petunia and her heifer. Now that she was running the farm by herself, she'd had to sell the rest of the dairy cows at auction. The cows weren't really cows, of course, and neither were the chickens or the horses. All of the farm animals on Kreska were hybrid versions of the original Earth animals, but Rosie had grown up on this planet, and they were all she'd ever known. Other than her thudding heart, she didn't hear any indication that anything was wrong until she was almost to the last stall on the left. A low groan, the sound tormented enough that she winced in sympathy before tightening her grip on her gun. What the hell was Matthew up to? Peeking cautiously around the edge of the stall, she didn't see anything at first. The floor was still covered with a thick layer of unused straw, old and musty by now, and it took a moment for her to realize that the lump against the back wall was not the result of the wind pushing the straw around. Instead, it mostly concealed the fact that a figure was lying there. A very large figure. As her eyes adjusted to the dimness, she picked out the boots pressed against one side of the stall, the kind of scuffed, metallic boots worn by spaceport workers, not the surrounding farmers. Once she recognized the boots, it was easier to see the rest of the huge body filling the back of the stall. If his boots were on one side and his head on the other, the stranger had to be over seven feet tall. He moaned again. Her hand still tight on her gun, she walked cautiously into the stall, then nudged one of his boots with her more practical rubber one. You all right, mister? No response, so she nudged a little harder. Hey, do you need help? This time he responded, sitting up with incredible speed as she jumped back with a muffled squeak. Before she could raise her gun, he collapsed down into the straw, landing on his back this time. 
Oh, crap. Not a man at all. Now she could see the emerald highlights in the dark hair that flopped across his face. His features were similar to those of a man, but stronger and more angular, and his skin was a pale, minty green. She'd had a brief glimpse of glittering silver eyes before his eyelids fluttered shut. An alien? What the hell is an alien doing in my barn? On the positive side, she was quite sure he wasn't working for Matthew. On more than one occasion, she'd heard Matthew ranting about the presence of those damn aliens on his planet. He didn't seem to appreciate the irony that humans were also aliens on Kreska. But the human settlers tended to keep to themselves, and they rarely encountered other species. Or at least not until seven years ago, when a small group of alien warriors purchased an isolated ranch in the mountains behind Wainwright, the closest town. Their presence had disturbed many of the residents, especially when each of the aliens had found human brides during the long winter five years ago. Since then, the aliens had worked with the town and built up a thriving trading business. But while the townspeople might grudgingly accept them, in the more remote areas, prejudice still lingered. If Matthew didn't hire him, what is he doing here? Had he been headed for the ranch? If so, he was a long way off course. And what was wrong with him? Was he wounded? Most of the straw had fallen away from his body during his abortive attempt to move, and she did a quick check for any obvious signs of injury. He was wearing a dark jumpsuit, the kind worn by those who worked on spaceships. It was stained and faded, but despite its bedraggled state, she didn't see any rips in the fabric or anything that looked like blood. Biting her lip, she put her gun back in her holster and knelt down next to him, uneasily aware of his enormous size as she got closer. Tentatively, she reached for his hand, then immediately dropped it. Damn, he was hot, his skin like hot coals beneath her fingers. It might be natural for his species, but given his moans, she suspected he was running a fever. Very cautiously, she put her hand over his heart, or at least what she thought his heart would be. His heart thumped steadily beneath her hand, a little fast perhaps, but reassuringly strong. Now that she was next to him, she could see the wedge of skin in the open neck of his jumpsuit and the dark, angry-looking tracery of his veins. They also might have been natural, but they didn't look right to her. Could he have been poisoned? He obviously needed help, but what could she do? There was a doctor in Wainwright, but that was a good day's journey away, and she couldn't leave the farm unprotected for that long. In previous years, she would have turned to Mrs. Miller for assistance, but the healer's family had been one of the first that Matthew ran off. She was still trying to come up with a plan 
when a burning hot hand covered hers, still resting over his heart. Startled, she jumped and looked up at his face. Those glittering silver eyes were opened again. Mine, he growled. Before she could respond, he pulled her down into the straw and rolled on top of her, his huge, scorching body covering hers. She opened her mouth to protest, and his mouth closed over hers. A hot, rough tongue stroked into her mouth with unerring precision, tasting like fire and spice. How long had it been since she'd been touched, let alone kissed? For one brief second, she gave in to that heated, seductive touch. But then she felt the thick ridge of his erection between her legs, despite the fabric separating them, and she panicked. She tried to reach for her gun, but it was wedged beneath the heavy weight of his body. Knowing that it wouldn't do any good, she pummeled his shoulders with her fists. Then, in a last fit of desperation, she bit his tongue. Chapter Two Harkin was so lost in the sweetness of his female's mouth that it took him far too long to realize that she was struggling rather than responding. Just as he was about to draw back, her small teeth clamped down on his tongue, surprisingly sharp despite their size, and he roared as his blood filled his mouth. He lifted his head and gave her a shocked look. Why did you do that? I didn't say you could kiss me, she said indignantly, blue eyes sparkling. Her pretty face was flushed, pink tinting the soft gold of her skin. The brown hair that had been pulled back so tightly was now curling wildly around her face. Human, he noted absently, but it didn't matter. But you are mine, he protested. His head felt swollen, his thoughts dizzy and unfocused, but he was absolutely sure about that fact. No, I'm not. She wiggled beneath him, her soft curves rubbing deliciously against his body and tormenting his aching cock. How long had it been since he'd had an erection? Even before the sickness. The sickness. The words triggered something in his confused mind, but before he could capture it, she wiggled again, and he finally realized she was trying to escape. His body didn't want to respond, but calling on his last reserves of strength, he managed to roll to one side. She immediately slipped free, leaving him feeling cold and alone, despite the heat burning through his veins. She put her hand on her weapon as she glared at him, and he nodded approvingly. His fierce little mate. Where? Where am I? In my barn, she said, pretty lips pursed. Why are you here? He searched for an answer, but all he found was a confused blur, and he shook his head. Were you going to Wainwright? 
Or the ranch? Something flickered at the word ranch, but it was gone just as quickly, and he shook his head again. She sighed. Do you at least know that you're on Kreska? Not on Vizal. Vizal? Is that your home? Yes. The answer came automatically, but it was accompanied by an overwhelming wave of sadness he didn't understand. She hesitated, then crouched down a short distance away. He suspected she was trying to stay out of reach. He could have reached her easily, but although he wanted her back in his arms, he didn't want to frighten her. Is that when you were injured? During the war on Vizal? She shook her head. No, of course not. The war was over seven years ago. He flinched, and her gaze sharpened. What is it? Did you remember something? Oh, war, he stuttered. Images flashed in his head. Horrible, painful images. And his vision blurred. Darkness roared over him, pulling him back down into the shadows, even as he tried to reach for her. The next time he awoke, she was gone, and an anguished howl escaped his lips. Had she just been a dream? An illusion brought on by fever and sickness? A hint of sweetness floated through the air, distracting him. And then she was there his pretty little mate bending anxiously over him. He hadn't dreamed her after all, and he sagged back against the straw in relief. What's wrong? I mean, other than whatever is already wrong with you? You're back, he said, and reached for her hand. She hesitated for a long moment, and then very lightly placed her fingers over his. No trying to pull me down, she said, patting the holster of her adorable little weapon. I apologize, my mate. I did not mean to alarm you. She sighed, but her fingers squeezed his for a brief second before she moved away. I'm not your mate. He bit back his immediate protest. His mind might not be clear on many things, but he was quite certain about that one. A patient hunter reaps the reward, he reminded himself. What is your name, my friend? Friend, hmm? I suppose that will do. My name is Rosalie Mackenzie, but everyone calls me Rosie. Rosalie, a sweet name for a sweet, mm, female he amended quickly. I am Harkin. I am honored to meet you. She gave him a suspicious look. Aren't you a sweet talker all of a sudden? I guess all the fluids I've been pouring down your throat must have helped. You seem better, and the outline of your veins has faded. I feel somewhat restored, he agreed, and managed to sit up. As he did, the top half of his jumpsuit fell down to his waist. Rosalie's cheeks turned a pretty shade of pink. You spilled almost as much as he swallowed, she muttered. I had to clean you up. 
I do not object. You may do whatever you wish with me. What I wish to do is to get you out of the barn and into the house. Do you think you can stand? He contemplated the question. He did not wish to admit weakness in front of his female, but even moving to a sitting position had taxed his strength. Perhaps, although you may have to assist me, he added reluctantly. She took a step towards him, then paused and gave him a stern look. This isn't a trap, is it? Remember that I'm armed. She patted the holster of her weapon, and he nodded approvingly. My fierce little mate, I mean friend, he added hastily. She shook her head again, but he saw her pretty lips twitch. All right, but you better behave yourself. She bent down and put his arm over her shoulders while she slid her other arm around his waist. Her closeness had the inevitable effect on his body, but he did his best to ignore it as he tried to wrestle himself into a standing position. Despite her small size, she was surprisingly strong and managed to provide enough support that he could stagger to his feet. As soon as he was upright, she took a step back. The unfastened jumpsuit that had been pinned between them immediately slid down to his feet, leaving him completely naked and ferociously erect. Chapter 3 Rosie knew that her mouth had dropped open, knew that she was staring, but she couldn't look away. The only other cock she had seen was her deceased husband's, and it hadn't even been half the size. Harkins was not only much longer, but wider as well. A ladder of thick ridges ran up the underside, clearly visible since his erection was pointing up towards his stomach. What did they feel like, she wondered, her fingers twitching with the urge to touch him. His cock jerked under her fascinated gaze, and she jumped as he gave a muffled groan. You are testing my control, little mate. Too embarrassed to argue with the term, she quickly reached down to grasp his jumpsuit and pull it back into place. He moved at the same time, and for the briefest second, the velvety hardness of his cock brushed against her cheek. The urge to explore him was even stronger this time, but she yanked the jumpsuit up his legs instead. He winced when the fabric collided with his balls, but he grasped the material, and she quickly turned away. Can you manage? she asked. Damn. Even though she'd tried to sound calm, her voice came out breathless and husky. Yes. At least he sounded just as strained. I'll wait outside until you're dressed. She fled out into the passage, then leaned against the nearest stall, her hands shaking. What in the world is wrong with me? She'd never been particularly interested in the opposite sex, or they in her, to be honest. Her marriage had been based on necessity rather than love. She'd done her best to be a dutiful wife, although she found the whole process awkward and embarrassing. 
Hector had been equally unenthusiastic, but he had also done his duty, hoping that she would give birth to an heir for the farm. Those brief weekly couplings had never aroused her the way her alien did. Ever since that first kiss, something had changed. She was aware of her body in a way she had never been before, aware of the heaviness of her breasts and the tingling peaks of her nipples, the low pulsing ache between her thighs. Even when she'd been supporting his head and trying to get liquid down his throat, she'd been conscious of the strong muscles beneath the smooth, hot skin. She'd even been tempted to take a peek at the bulge that appeared beneath his jumpsuit every time she tended to him, but she'd forced herself to refrain. Perhaps if she had peeked, she wouldn't have been quite so shocked. That's all it is, she told herself firmly. Shock. It's just because he's so different. But then he appeared next to her, big and imposing, even though his knees were trembling and her heart skipped a beat. Doing her best to hide her reaction, she gave him a bright, false smile. I think you're getting better. The discoloration on your veins is fading. Veins. He swayed. She swore and put her arm around his waist to steady him, carefully ignoring the fact that it felt so right to be there. Maybe I spoke too soon. I just had a memory. Or at least I think it was a memory. He shook his head in obvious frustration. I'm sure it'll come back to you, she said soothingly. But let's try and get you back to the house before you collapse. I'm quite capable of standing, he said stiffly, but she could feel his body shaking. Good, then this won't take long. Her optimism proved unfounded. They had to stop in the breezeway between the barn and the carriage house. She let him lean against the wall while she tried to shrug some feeling back into her shoulders. The final journey through the garden, up the steps to the porch, and into the house seemed to last forever. She could feel his body trembling, even though he never complained, and her shoulders ached from trying to support his weight. Together, they managed to stagger through the door. As soon as they were inside, she guided him into the parlor she'd converted into a bedroom and pushed him gently down onto the bed. His arm was still wrapped around her shoulders, and he collapsed so rapidly that she went with him, ending up sprawled across that huge, hot body. Here we are again, she sighed. She knew she should get up, but he felt so good beneath her, big and hard and reassuring. His other arm came up to wrap around her waist, and she felt surprisingly safe despite the massive ridge of his erection throbbing between her legs. For a long moment, they lay together in silence, the morning sunlight flooding in through the big windows, and only the sound of the birds in the orchard disturbing the quiet. She'd spent most of the past twenty-four hours trying to care for him and keep up with her chores. Exhaustion washed over her and she was almost asleep 
when she felt his hands stroking her hair. He gently freed the long strands from her usual tight braid. Your hair is so soft, like silk between my fingers. His voice lowered to a deep growl. But I believe your lips were softer. May I taste them again? I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. She opened her mouth to tell him no. Yes, she whispered instead. He immediately pulled her up his body, her breasts rubbing deliciously against the hard planes of his chest until her face was on a level with his. Silver eyes glittered up at her, and she could see the hunger in them, but all he did was smooth her disheveled curls back from her face. My pretty little mate, he murmured, and she had the sudden urge to cry. No one had ever called her pretty, or little for that matter. She had the sturdy body of her pa's side of the family. Good breeding stock, he'd told her once. He might even have meant it as a compliment. She started to protest, but before she could say anything, he gently tugged her head down and pressed his mouth against hers. She expected him to kiss her with the same fiery intensity he had shown before, but instead he sipped delicately at her lips, tasting, teasing, until she was the one who wanted more, shyly slipping her tongue between his lips. She felt him tense, felt his cock throb beneath her, but even then he held back, letting her explore. He tasted as hot and delicious as she remembered, and this time she noticed the ridges running down the center of his tongue, ridges that mimicked the ones on his cock. What would they feel like on other parts of her body? Her nipples stiffened even more at the thought of him kissing her breasts, or even lower. She had never experienced such a thing, but before her best friend Mary's family had sold their farm to Matthew, Mary had told her about the acts that could be performed between a man and a woman, acts she had certainly never encountered in her married life. Her nipples throbbed, and she tried to rub them against his chest to relieve the lingering ache. He growled again, the sound reverberating deliciously through their tightly pressed bodies as his hand slipped down from her waist to her ass. His hand tightened on the generous flesh as he began slowly rocking her back and forth across his cock. She tried to move faster, chasing that elusive pleasure, but he continued his slow, unhurried rhythm, matching it to his kisses. Long, drugging kisses that filled her senses and left her clinging to him as her body tightened, perched on the edge of a cliff. She started to panic, the intensity of the sensation scaring her. You're safe, my sweet mate he murmured soothingly against her mouth, his hand stroking her head. With a tiny sigh, she relaxed against him. He started rocking her again, and this time she gave herself over to the sensations rushing through her body and the sweet intensity of his kisses. 
He pulled her tighter against his body, his thick cock pressing directly against the swollen nub of flesh between her thighs. And with a shuddering gasp, she flew over the edge of the cliff. A tidal wave of pleasure swept over her, leaving her limp and dazed in his arms. Good girl, he whispered. She buried her face against his neck, suddenly feeling shy as he murmured words of praise and gently stroked her hair. She could feel his heart beating against her chest, the steady rhythm filling her head. He was still erect, and she raised her head, not quite sure what to say. As she did, she realized that she hadn't just heard his heart beating. Hoofbeats were coming down the drive. He must have heard them as well, because his body tensed. He sat up with that astonishing speed, placing her next to him as he did, his face grim and fierce. Someone is coming. I know, she sighed as she rose to her feet. Unfortunately, the only person likely to be visiting her was Matthew. Chapter 4 Harkin knew from his mate's reaction that the approaching visitor was unwelcome. A moment ago, she had been soft and happy in his arms. Now, she was frowning, her small shoulders tense and her blunt little teeth worrying the soft curve of her lower lip, still swollen from his kisses. Whoever was coming needed to leave. Immediately. He started to rise to his feet, then swayed, his knees giving out and sending him back down on the bed. Fuck. What had happened to him? What was still happening? His thoughts were a muddled blur, brief flashes of memory appearing and then disappearing. What are you trying to do? she demanded. You barely made it into the house. Just stay where you are. I will not leave you alone to deal with a threat, he insisted, hoping that his head would stop spinning. Matthew Johnson is not exactly a threat, she said defiantly, but he could hear the uncertainty behind the bravado. And anyway, I can deal with him. You just stay here. He wasn't any happier when she touched the handle of the holster of her gun as if to reassure herself. Do you have more weapons? he demanded. Some. A couple of hunting rifles and a few more handguns. Bring me one, please. As much as it galled him to ask her, he knew he needed to conserve his strength. Do you know how to handle human weapons? Yes, I am a warrior. The knowledge emerged from his muddled brain with absolute certainty. She must have heard the conviction in his voice because she left the room, returning a moment later with a long-barreled weapon. She handed it to him just as he heard a carriage come to a halt outside the house. She sighed. I don't think you'll need it, but I kind of like having you at my back. She gave him a shy smile and brushed her mouth across his before straightening her shoulders, marching out into the hallway and throwing open the door. She stepped out onto the porch, 
but to his relief, she left the door open so he could hear the conversation. You're not welcome here, Matthew, she said, her voice hard. Now's that any way to talk to your new neighbor? Harkin immediately hated the sound of the other male's voice. It had a slimy quality, as if it were wrapped in rotting gemmenweed. Using the weapon as a crutch, he managed to maneuver himself to his feet and quietly made his way to the entrance of the room. Thank goodness you're not my neighbor. Your foul stench would curdle the milk. From this position, he could see her body framed in the doorway and see the tension in her shoulders, but she managed a lazy, contemptuous drawl. A horse neighed outside, and he caught her quickly hidden flinch. And if you don't stop sawing at those reins, you'll ruin that horse. I don't need your advice, missy. The male's voice was no longer quite so smooth. And I'm delighted to tell you that we really are neighbors. The Carters just sold out. This time, she wasn't as successful in hiding her reaction, and the male gave a self-satisfied laugh. Doesn't it make you feel better to know that you have a big, strong man nearby, available any time, day or night? The suggestive drawl in the last words was too much. He brought the weapon up to parade rest and strode across the hallway to stand next to his mate. His legs threatened to tremble, but his anger kept him upright. She doesn't need your assistance at any time. I am here to assist her. He wanted to go further, to claim her as his mate, but this was not the place. The male gaped at him in almost comical surprise. He was human, a big, older male, his muscles beginning to turn to fat, but still a powerful adversary. The male's eyes narrowed as the shock wore off, and he glared at Rosalie. You hired a fucking alien? Your husband must be rolling in his grave. Husband? The world whirled around him, and once again his knees threatened to give way. Somehow he managed to remain upright. His female, or was she his female, had recovered her composure. She raised an eyebrow, her voice hard. I'm sure Hector would be delighted, especially since any man I try to hire mysteriously disappears. The male leaned over and spat a gob of brown liquid into the dirt. On your head be it. You know folks round here don't take much to aliens. Since you appear to be the only folk left around here, and I don't give a damn about your opinion, I'm not worried. Don't say I didn't warn you. Time is running out, missy. The male spat again then brought the reins down hard across the horse's back and disappeared back down the drive. Rosalie sighed and rubbed her forehead. It was nice of you to come to my defense, but it wasn't necessary. Damn, I can't believe the Carters sold their property to him. Their farm was the last buffer between us. She frowned up at him. Is something wrong? 
I knew you shouldn't have gotten out of bed. You're already mated? The words sounded strange in his ears. Mated? Do you mean married? Yes, I was married, but my husband died over a year ago. He swayed again, and she immediately tucked herself under his arm. He knew the honorable thing to do would be to avoid her touch, but he was not strong enough. Instead, he tightened his arm around her shoulders, relishing his last chance to touch her. I apologize. I did not know. Of course you didn't know. We haven't had much chance to talk. She looked up with a teasing smile, and his chest ached. He had been so sure she was his mate. I would not have touched you if I had known. By this time, they had reached the bedroom, and she helped him down onto the bed before standing back, her hands going to her hips. What do you mean you wouldn't have touched me? I told you he's been dead for over a year. I'm not the unfaithful kind. But he was your mate. Even though the lingering sweetness of her arousal still filled the air, her foot tapped impatiently against the floor. Yes, we were married, but we're no longer married because he died. I don't understand why you're acting like this. You're the one who kissed me. Her mouth suddenly dropped open. Oh my God, are you being so weird because I'm not a virgin? As if he cared about how many sexual partners she'd had, he opened his mouth to explain that he was only concerned with her mating, but she didn't give him a chance to speak. Damn men, I am not a man. All right, damn aliens. So determined to be the first one to enter a woman, no matter how many times they've gotten their own dick wet. As soon as you can walk, get the hell off my farm. She turned and stomped through the doorway. He tried to rise and follow her, but it was no use. Between the walk from the barn to the house and the confrontation on the porch, he simply had no strength left. No matter how much he hated it, he was going to have to recover his strength before he could go after her. Recover my strength. The words triggered another flash of memory, and this time it didn't immediately disappear. He was sure he had come to Kreska for help, even if he didn't know how he'd intended to accomplish that. He still had no idea how he'd ended up on the farm. He liked this room, liked the tall ceiling and the big windows, but it was a home, not a medical establishment. More flashes of memory, of white walls and hard mattresses and people shaking their heads before they walked away. No one had been able to help him. Or had they? A doctor with a kind face had suggested a possibility. He could even remember that feeling of hope, but no other details surfaced. Fuck. It didn't matter anyway. All that mattered was his female. Even if she could never be his mate, he still intended to protect her. He just had to get his strength back first. Chapter 5 
Rosie gently detached the portable milking machine from Petunia's udder, then leaned against the cow's flank with a sigh. She knew she should take the milk to the dairy for processing, but instead her thoughts kept returning to Harkin, just as they had all day while she worked. Why couldn't she just dismiss him as another worthless male? Petunia gave her a soulful look over her shoulder with her big brown eyes, aware that something was different, and Rosie forced herself to sit up. Never mind, girl. I'm just being an idiot. You are not an idiot. That deep voice sent a shiver of pleasure through her body, but she didn't look up. You seem to have made a remarkable recovery. In spite of her annoyance, she had checked on him several times throughout the day and always found him sleeping. Each time she'd left him more water and broth, but made no attempt to wake him. My condition can recede as quickly as it appears. That surprised her into frowning up at him. Does that mean you're well again? He did look better, tall and confident, but then she was pretty sure he had appeared confident to Matthew as well. She took a longer look, telling herself it was strictly for medical reasons and not because she was appreciating that strong, muscled body. No, I am not well, he said after a long hesitation. The sickness will return. Her heart skipped a beat. You mean, you remember? Is that why you... It's not important, he interrupted. What is important is that I have distressed you, and I did not intend to do so. I believe that I may have misunderstood. He seems sincere enough. Perhaps it was a cultural misunderstanding, rather than the misogyny she'd assumed. She pushed the milking machine back out of the stall and picked up the canister of milk. He immediately reached for the heavy container. She hesitated, then let him take it. The ease with which he carried it certainly made it seem as if he were fit again. All right, she said as they headed to the dairy. Why don't you explain it to me? He followed her into the whitewashed dairy and watched as she poured the milk into the separator. Then she led him through the outer door to the bench behind the barn. This was one of her favorite places on the farm and one of her favorite views. The sun was sinking into the horizon over the gently rolling landscape, the line of trees that followed the creek already dark and mysterious in the increasing dimness. All right, she said as she sat down. I'm listening. After the briefest pause, he sat next to her. She could feel the heat of his body against the length of her side and did the best she could to ignore how good, how right it felt. Your word marriage translates to mate bond in my language, he said slowly. But perhaps the translation is incorrect. Amongst my people, a mate bond is for life. Once mated, a riassi never looks at another female. Not even if their mate should die? No. Occasionally, a surviving mate might seek comfort from another, but it would never be a true bond. But 
Perhaps your human marriage is not the same? She sighed and leaned back against the bench as the sun sank below the hills, leaving only a glowing line of gold along the horizon. Yes and no. Usually a person marries with the intention that it will be for life, but it doesn't always work out that way. You said, usually? Was this not true for you? She shook her head. I grew up here. My pa had a farm on the other side of that ridge over there. He wasn't much of a farmer, and it wasn't much of a farm, but we did our best. Then my mother died. That ache never went away. We had a bad winter three years ago, and she was never strong. That next spring, Pa decided he'd had enough of farming and sold the farm to Matthew. He tried to sell me, too. He did what? He growled, and she could feel his anger reverberating against her side. Pa hadn't put it quite like that, of course. He'd told her that Matthew was willing to take her on, and she should be grateful. He told me I was part of the deal. I'm not even sure why Matthew was interested. Convenience, maybe? Farming is a hard life, even if you're brought up with it, and there aren't many women around. Or perhaps, despicable though he may be, he is intelligent enough to realize that you are a beautiful, desirable female. His eyes glowed silver as he looked at her, and her breath caught. The memory of their earlier encounter sent a surge of arousal humming through her veins, but she wanted him to understand. I'm ashamed to say that I almost considered it. She'd hated the idea, but she was also keenly aware that she didn't have many alternatives. All she knew was farm work, and no one in their cluster had the resources to hire her. She'd been trying to gather the courage to go to Wainwright to look for work when Hector approached her. Then Hector came to see me. His wife had also been taken that winter, leaving him alone and childless. He wanted someone to inherit the farm. She could still see Hector standing in their kitchen, a tall, lanky man with a careworn face, twisting his hat in his hands. His proposal had been awkward, but he'd been honest about why he was proposing, and she respected that. It wasn't a love match. It was clear that he still loved his wife. I think maybe they had one of those mate bonds, but he wanted an heir, and I needed an alternative to marrying Matthew. And your father. Told me I was a fool, but didn't stick around long enough to argue. Matthew bought the farm anyway, and as soon as Pa had the money, he left. Haven't seen him since. Harkins sprang to his feet, pacing back and forth in the growing darkness. How could any worthy male do that to his daughter? It's pretty obvious he wasn't a good man, she said, trying to keep the hurt out of her voice. Her Pa had never been kind to her, but she hadn't realized until that day how little he valued her. He stopped pacing and knelt in front of her, gathering her hands in his big, warm ones. I am sorry that you did not have the parent you deserved. His voice deepened. 
And the male you married, was he worthy? Worthy enough. We worked hard, but I was used to that. We managed to get along well enough. But despite the weekly ritual of their marital duties, he'd always seemed like a stranger to her. She had wondered if that would change eventually, but she'd never had a chance to find out. We'd been married for just over a year when there was an accident with one of the farm machines. He was working on it, and it fell on top of him. I'm sorry, he said softly, tightening his grip on her hands. Was it truly an accident? I think so. I suspected Matthew at first, but Hector was alone and there hadn't been anyone else around. I wondered if maybe part of him just wanted to join his first wife. It was the first time she'd ever voiced her suspicion aloud, but Harkin only nodded. That would not be uncommon amongst my people, although it is done openly. His eyes glowed as he looked at her. I would follow my mate into death. The warmth in his eyes was unmistakable, and her cheeks heated, but she wasn't sure she was ready for that discussion. Instead, she jumped to her feet, pulling her hands free so she could brush non-existent dirt off the knees of her pants. Hopefully nobody's going to be following anybody into death, she said, as lightly as possible. But she felt him freeze. When she looked up at him, he was staring out into the darkness. They aren't, are they? She whispered. Chapter 6 Arkin saw the horrified suspicion on Rosalie's face and realized he had revealed himself. He couldn't bring himself to answer her question, so instead he changed the subject. Is there any other work which needs to be done tonight? From her penetrating glance, he suspected she wasn't fooled, but after a brief hesitation, she gave him a rueful smile. There is always more work to be done on a farm, but right now it's time for supper. Let's go back to the house. As she walked along the path behind the farm buildings, he stayed a half step behind, his senses alert for any sign of trouble. He disliked her earlier visitor even more now that he knew the male had attempted to purchase his female. But how much of a threat was he? Was it merely talk, or was there more to it? This male who wants your farm, how dangerous is he? He asked as they entered the kitchen. She hesitated a moment too long before answering. Not very. He's really just all talk. I suspect he is somewhat more than that, if the thought crossed your mind that he was involved in your husband's accident, he said dryly. Do you need assistance with the meal? I'm just going to heat up some soup and make grilled cheese sandwiches, but thank you for asking. Of course. But you are avoiding the subject. She raised an eyebrow at him. The same way you did? When he nodded, she sighed then pulled out a loaf of bread and began cutting it fiercely into slices. He's never been caught, but unfortunate accidents always seem to happen at the farms he has his eye on. Not that he would ever get his own hands dirty, but the men who work for him don't have many scruples. 
Have they happened here? he asked. There have been a few things, she admitted, placing thick slabs of cheese between the slices of bread and adding them to a sizzling pan. But they could all have been genuine accidents. The belts on farm equipment break and fences get damaged all the time. But you don't think they were accidents? No, not really. Although she kept her attention focused on her cooking, her shoulders had stiffened again. But they certainly aren't going to drive me off my land. His chest ached. He had thought the same thing once, but now his home no longer existed. He vowed to find a way to make sure that she didn't suffer that same loss. I know that probably sounds strange considering how I came to be here, she added, but I think when you work the land, it becomes part of you. This feels like my home. I understand. My family also worked the land. You? A farmer? An infectious laugh bubbled out of her pretty lips, and he found himself smiling back. How long had it been since he'd smiled? I assure you I am quite capable, he said with mock-offended dignity, and she laughed again as she served up their meal. They carried the plates into the living room and ate in front of the fire. The dim overhead lights flickered and finally died, but she only sighed and lit the lantern she had ready. The solar generator is on its last legs, but I can't blame that on Matthew. It's just old. He almost offered to repair it, but as his strength had returned, so had most of his memory. He couldn't stay with her for long. Instead, he found himself telling her more about his family and his past, while she told him about her life and the mother she had clearly adored. They talked long into the night, and the house was dark and still around them when at last she looked over at him, her eyes a deep, mysterious blue in the glow of the lantern. I want you to come to bed with me. His cock jerked, but he sternly suppressed it. He was determined not to allow any more misunderstandings between them. It is time to rest, he agreed cautiously, and she smiled, a slow, seductive smile that was impossible to resist. Rest isn't what I had in mind. I mean, if you feel well enough, I do. He gave in to the impulse that had been haunting him all evening and lifted her into his arms. Satisfaction filled him as the soft curves of her body settled into place against him. This was where she belonged. He carried her through into the bedroom, then placed her back on her feet. May I remove your clothing? Pink flushed her pretty face, but she nodded. He started with her shirt, slowly and carefully unfastening each button, her skin impossibly soft beneath his fingers as he worked his way down before gently pushing the shirt away. She shivered, her nipples like ripe berries crowning her lush breasts. Are you cold, little mate? No, she whispered, just impatient. Her hands went to her pants, but he covered them with his own. This is my privilege, 
His own hands threatened to shake as he carefully unfastened her pants, then slid them down the soft curves of her legs, leaving her naked and glowing in the dim light. You are so beautiful. He could see she didn't believe him, but she would eventually. At least. What's the matter, Harkin? Nothing, he said quickly, pushing the unwelcome thoughts aside. There was still hope, after all. Is it my turn now? If that is what you wish. It's definitely what I wish. The touch of her hands on his skin was a delightful agony as she took her time removing his clothing, stroking each inch of skin she revealed and tormenting him by pressing small, teasing kisses to his flesh. He held out as long as he could, but after the third time her fingers railed tantalizingly across the head of his cock, his patience vanished. He growled, towed off his boots, stripped away his jumpsuit, and lifted her onto the bed in a rush of movement. Once again, their bodies were pressed together, but this time there was nothing between them. Never had anything felt so right. She looked up at him, her eyes wide and startled, then gave him that same seductive smile. You seem to be in a hurry. If you put a feast in front of a starving man, you cannot expect him to contain his hunger forever. Are you starving for me, Harkin? Ravenous, he said, and kissed her. His kiss was equally hungry. He told himself to slow down, but she met him with identical passion, and his attempt at restraint vanished. Their mouths met in a sensual duel as their hands explored, searching, caressing. He tugged hungrily at those impudent nipples before diving lower, breathing a prayer of thanks to the gods when he found her wet and ready. And small. He tried to remind himself to be patient, to take his time and make sure she was ready, but she writhed restlessly beneath him. Her legs wrapped around his hips, pulling him closer as he inserted one finger, then another, into her delicious little cunt. She cried out her own prayer to the gods as her channel tightened around him, hot and wet and silky, and his last shred of control vanished. He yanked his fingers free and replaced them with his cock, thrusting into her with one long, hard stroke, taking her, filling her, claiming her. Chapter 7 Oh, my God! Rosie's mouth opened, but no words came out, her body overwhelmed by the massive cocks splitting her open. Her breath escaped in rapid pants as she tried to adjust, hovering on the knife edge between pleasure and pain. Harkin raised his head to look at her, his eyes glittering silver, then froze. Are you well, my mate? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. 
The capacity for speech escaped her, and his expression turned to panic. He immediately started to pull free, but she gasped and clamped her legs more tightly around his hips. Wait, just, just give me a minute. I should have taken more time to prepare you. The burning stretch began to fade, replaced by an incredible fullness, and she managed to smile. I'm not sure anything could have prepared me for you. She flexed her hips cautiously. Hmm, definitely feeling better. She tightened her muscles experimentally, and he groaned. You are testing my control, Rosalie. Despite his words, he remained rigid, his muscles taut with strain. Then maybe you should move a little. He obeyed, pulling back just enough that the ridges laddering his cock brushed across a place inside her that sent fire streaking through her veins. She gasped again, and he stopped moving. Don't stop, she said quickly. That was a good gasp. His worried expression began to fade. Ah, then let us seek more of those. He pushed back in the inch he had withdrawn, and those ridges felt just as good sliding into her. You seem to approve, he murmured, his hand coming up to tug gently on a taut nipple. Is this what you want? God, yes. He started to move, still slowly and carefully, but her apprehension had vanished. She urged him on, the slight lingering burn only adding to her pleasure as he thrust harder, faster. Shivers skated across her skin, every nerve alive and singing as she climbed higher and higher towards that elusive peak. Mine, he growled, and his teeth clamped down on her neck, sending her flying. Stars danced in front of her eyes, her body shuddering helplessly as he grew impossibly thicker, a rush of hot liquid filling her already full channel as her climax rolled on and on and on until the tremors finally ceased. He collapsed down over her, his body surrounding hers. She hugged him back just as tightly until at last he rolled to his back, keeping her tucked firmly against his side. I could stay like this forever, she thought sleepily, then shivered. She had an uneasy feeling that they didn't have forever. Are you cold, little mate? Mate, it was impossible, and yet it felt so right. Was that why she was having this sudden rush of panic? What's wrong with you? She blurted out. You remembered, didn't you? His muscles tensed, but then she felt him nod. I think so. It's still a little confused, but I remember most of it. His fingers stroked through her hair. I was injured during the war. But the war has been over for seven years. I know. He fell silent, and despite the nerves making her stomach clench, she waited patiently for him to continue. It was an experimental weapon, he said at last, 
a chemical that attacks the circulatory system. It appears to go into remission, but it comes back, and each time it is stronger. You have to see a doctor, she cried, trying to sit up. Instead, he pulled her closer, settling her on top of him. He felt so big and strong that it was hard to believe he was sick. I have seen a doctor. Many doctors. I've been poked and prodded and jabbed and scanned, but none of them had a lasting answer. Oh, Harkin, no. Tears hovered on her lashes, and he stroked her hair again. Don't worry, my mate. I think I may have found the answer at last. There is a medic here on Kreska, an Arkani named Drakar, who may be able to help me. Is he one of the aliens, I mean the males, who live at the ranch close to Wainwright? She asked eagerly. Yes. I was heading there when the last attack hit me. Then we need to go there, right now. His face softened, his hand coming up to cup her cheek. You would leave your farm unprotected from that despicable male? I... Yes, she said defiantly, but he shook his head. No, my mate, you must remain here. But you'll come back. Nothing could keep me away from you. Except death, she thought but she couldn't bring herself to say it out loud. Instead, she smiled as convincingly as she could. When will you leave? As soon as it is light. She wanted to object, to argue for more time together, but it would be foolish to delay. In that case, we should make the most of tonight. She reached between their bodies and trailed her fingers down his cock. It responded immediately, stiffening beneath her touch, and his eyes glittered. An excellent plan, he agreed, and kissed her. He loved her so fiercely and so well that despite her determination not to miss a moment of their remaining time together, she eventually fell asleep. When the sun finally woke her, she was alone. Chapter 8 Two weeks. It had been two weeks since Harkin had left, and every moment since then had seemed like an eternity to Rosie. She tried to keep herself busy, but no matter how hard she worked, she couldn't stop worrying about him. She barely slept, and what sleep she did get was haunted by nightmares. Petunia mooed and nudged her, startling her out of staring unseeing at the milking machine. Sorry, girl, she apologized, and managed to focus long enough to complete the milking. After taking the milk to the dairy, she headed for the garden, deciding to harvest the last beans and can them. As she put her hand on the gate, the thuds of hooves disturbed the quiet. She looked up eagerly her heart sinking as she recognized Matthew. This time, he was not alone, two of his goons riding alongside him. She checked the weapon on her hip and went to meet him. What do you want, Matthew? You know you're not welcome here. 
She didn't bother to hide her contempt, and he sneered at her. Looks like that alien pet of yours wore you out. You should have kept better care of yourself. Ignoring the insult, she gave him her coldest stare. I am not remotely interested in your opinion. Why are you here? Actually, Randolph tells me that your alien isn't here anymore. Got tired of you, did he? That stung a little more than she liked. It had crossed her mind a few times, especially this week, that maybe Harkin had simply moved on, but she refused to believe it. No, he didn't, she said flatly. Matthew actually looked surprised by her certainty, but then he sat back on his horse and smirked at her. Poor delusional woman, hankering after some theoretical alien that's nowhere in sight. Sounds like you might be losing your grip on reality. Isn't that right, Randolph? Losing her grip, the goon agreed, and the hair on the back of her neck stood up. What were they up to? Like I said, I don't care what you think. Move on. Oh, but you should care. Matthew swung down from his horse, and she immediately pulled her gun. Stay right there. Now, is that any way to talk to your future husband? Especially when he's the only one who's prepared to care for you in your uncertain mental condition? She stared at him in shock as ice streaked down her spine. What are you talking about? I had a very interesting conversation with old Doc Martin. He agreed that you sounded unstable. That old drunk? Doc Martin had been the town doctor before alcohol got the better of him. I don't care what he thinks either. You should. He's prepared to testify that you need protective custody. And as your future husband, I should be the one to provide it. She was so horrified by his plan that she almost missed the fact that both of his men had also dismounted and were moving to flank her. Refusing to panic, she pointed her gun at Matthew. If anyone gets one step closer to me, I'm going to shoot you. His smug smile faded for a moment, but quickly reappeared. You forget that there's three of us. You can't shoot us all. Maybe not but I can make sure you're the first to die. He laughed unpleasantly. I wouldn't recommend it. Randolph and Duke are far less civilized than I am when it comes to women. Flicking a glance at the two leering men, she didn't doubt him for an instant, but she refused to be intimidated. She bared her teeth at him. I'll take my chances. Get her he snarled, stepping back. His men rushed her as she fired, one of them nudging her elbow enough that her bullet went through Matthew's arm instead of his chest. She whirled to fire at Randolph, but he was no longer there. He was dangling from the claws of a huge winged alien. An equally large leonine alien with dark pink fur shoved Duke's face into the dirt. Ignoring the man squirming beneath his foot, he swept her an extravagant bow and grinned at her. You must be Rosalie. Nice to meet you. You too, she said automatically, 
before a strangled noise made her look back at Matthew. He was suspended off the ground with Harkin's hands wrapped around his neck. You're back. I told you I would return, my mate. He smiled at her, and she could already see how much healthier and stronger he looked. I'm only sorry I was not in time to prevent this annoyance, but that can be easily remedied. No, wait, she cried as his hands tightened and he frowned at her. You are concerned for him? Of course not, but I am concerned about you, all of you, she added. The people who live around here have only just begun to accept other species. If you kill him, I'm afraid they'll turn on you. A valid point, the winged alien agreed as he landed next to her, his claws casually pressed against Randolph's jugular. You mean I can't pull his legs off? The furred one asked, winking at her as the man under his foot moaned. I'm afraid not, this time. Of course, if they try to come back, we won't, both men swore at the same time. She gave Harkin a hopeful look. He sighed and nodded. All right, disarm them and let them go. The men glared at them as they were set free, but they kept their mouths shut, mounting rapidly and galloping away. Now you, Harkin. I don't like this, he scowled. I know, but do it anyway. Please? How can I refuse you, my mate? Harkin lifted the gasping, red-faced Matthew higher. From now on, you stay away from my mate and from this place. Do you hear me? Because if you step one foot onto this land, I'm going to let Benjar eat you. The leonine male opened his mouth to reveal a truly impressive set of teeth, and Matthew shuddered. Now get out of here, without saying another word, Harkin added as he dropped Matthew, and Matthew's mouth opened. The big man gave them all a death glare, but he obeyed. As soon as he was riding away, she flung herself into Harkin's arms and burst into tears. Hush, little mate. Everything is fine. I was so afraid you weren't coming back, she sobbed. I will always return to you, Rosalie. I love you. That made her sob even harder, and he hugged her close. It's all right, sweetheart. I can wait until I love you, too. The words were half-muffled by her sobs, but he must have heard them because he grinned, and then he kissed her, and everything else ceased to matter. He was home. This has been You Got Alien Trouble, a Seven Brides for Seven Alien Brothers story by Honey Phillips, narrated by Jack Callahan. Welcome back. Welcome back, lady listeners. Thank you so much to Honey Phillips for bringing us You've Got Alien Trouble. I'm so excited to listen to it when we're done. <laughs> Thank you again. Um, you're welcome back anytime. We love this. Love all your stuff. Be sure and check the show notes for links to everything that's all Honey Phillips related. Everything we've talked about will be down in the show notes along with her website, all that good stuff. 
Up next week, we've got Leslie Pike with a book called The Catch. And I'm so excited for it. I love it. So I guess that's it. Do we have anything I was going to say, um, if you guys want to go on Patreon, Ellen, maybe on has an alien book that just dropped. So if you want to oh, stay yeah. in that it, world. That's right. Ella Maven's book. So on that's there. on there right now. And mm-hmm. when you hear this, um, Man of the Mountain by Frankie Love will also now be the full audiobook up on Patreon as well. I love Frankie. And there's going to be a free book from Emma Bray. Um, we'll also have an update on the book boxes soon. Um, if you join the Patreon, you'll be the first to know. They are coming soon. We're just waiting on the last thing to be delivered, and then we're going to box them up and get them ready to go. Sure. So be on the lookout for that. And also, any new, we have a new Alexa Raleigh release, I think, coming soon, too. We should. We should have the second. Oddly, I got the third book edits back before the second. I think the proofer got things mixed up. I was like, where's Whoops. book two? <laughs> So, so, Stealing the Dancer? That's book that? three. Where's the second book? Book um, two was like... Oh, oh, wait. The Thief. It was, the thief. Yeah, the Stealing the yeah, Stealing the I loved her, too. That one was stealing so was, fun. How did it's they because forget she, her? I don't know. It's because she had kittens in her bag. Like, she what? kept an emergency kitten in her bag all the time. That's why you liked her. <laughs> but she just... Because we wanted to do shoes on all the covers. And I was mm-hmm. like, how am I going to do this girl's shoes? She's like a tomboy. Like yeah, It was so cute. They're pink converses. Uh-huh. They're like pink and gold. Like rose gold or whatever. They're shiny. They're so cute. So, yeah. So, that one should be out soon. So, make sure you check that out. And we should have some new AR taboos very, very soon as well. We'll have a new set of three. And a little surprise, too. Maybe maybe even a little fourth surprise. So, we'll see. All right. I think that's it. Tell me soon. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read.